church at Thessalonica. He had begun addressing earlier on the first chapter or two. He's having to defend why he came there and to make sure that they know that he did not come uh, by any sort of fleshly desire or desire for his name to be glorified, but rather for the name of Christ. Uh, He was praising God for the work that had been done in chapter 3 as they got the report back from Timothy who had returned. And then what we find is that he starts to show them, hey, we are excited and praising God and rejoicing that these good things are happening in your church as we ought to do. We ought to praise God when God is at work amongst the local church here, but as well in other churches that are preaching the gospel, staying true to the Bible. We should celebrate that God is at work anywhere. Uh, the, The Lord is gracious in all the work that He does. He's merciful in all the work that He does. So therefore, we should rejoice in all the work that He does, whether it's here, there, or somewhere that we'll never see or even hear about, to trust and to praise God that He's at work. But then Paul gets to them and he says, but you have these things going on, but do not think that you're not lacking. Right? In other words, the idea was that he was getting at, do not think that you've arrived yet. Does anybody attend a perfect church here this morning? No. (laughs) It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Right? We don't have a perfect pastor. We don't have a perfect congregation. We don't have a perfect building. We don't have a perfect anything because there's nothing perfect in this world. However, what we find is that what we should have is a purified church, a purified pastor, a purified people who attend and become members and, and are not just members in name only or attendance, but in gathering together in fellowship as we find throughout this chapter already. And what we now see is that Paul has called them up to this point in the first 10 verses, to an incredibly detailed, purified life. The Christian should be holy. The the, the life of a Christian is and to be a holy life, a life of holiness. You and I often strive for many things, but if there's one thing we should strive for, it should be holiness. However, you cannot strive for holiness in the flesh because it will get you nowhere. As a matter of fact, there is no spiritual work that can ever be done in your flesh. All it will produce, and we can do an awful lot of Christiany or churchy things in the flesh and accomplish nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. If we are to live holy lives, it is to be by what has been given to us by the power of the Spirit of God, dependence upon the Word, gathering together as a local church, and making sure that the sin in our life is being cleansed, mortified, put to death, that we will be sanctified, uh, possessing our vessel rightly, and all these things before God. God desires a holy church. But God deserves a holy church. And the whole point of revivals, the whole point of these times, is that we gather together. As we did this past Wednesday night, we spent much of our time uh, praying for the Lord to purify us as we looked at at purifying and rejoicing and asking and yielding ourselves to God in prayer. And as we spent time this past Wednesday night, we, we got dealt with with some things. And we need dealing with our sin daily, by the way. Not merely once a week on a Sunday or at an altar or at a prayer meeting or at a, a, a Bible study, but we need dealing with our sin daily. And I would say not even daily, but moment by moment. Do not hesitate the moment that you sin to run to the cross, to run to Christ. It, can I be honest with you? Even this week, I've had sin, and what I've done is put myself on a shelf where I've said, well, now I can't go to God until tomorrow. I'll try all over again. You know what that is? It's foolishness and it's pride. That's what keeps us from going to the Lord. And now, as he's been dealing with all this purity, we come into verse 11 and 12, and he gets real personal here. He says, "...and that you study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing." Here's where we're at today. 
we see as he has been dealing with the individual Christian life. But notice this. How has he been dealing with the individual Christian life? Just with the individual or in the local body? He's writing to a church. Everything in your individual walk affects your home. It affects your family. It affects your local church. And I would tell you that it affects your community, though you may not ever see it. All of our life is much greater than ourself. Our Christian walk, our individual Christian life and sanctifying process is much greater than just about ourself. We have become consumeristic and we have become individualistic. Therefore, we have abandoned our homes to fend for themselves. We have abandoned our churches to fend for themselves. And we've left our community broken down and dying. Now, all may seem well because there's other churches, there's activity, our family, we, we attend church, all these things. However, we've got to see that there is a greater purpose beyond just our individual walk. But he does begin personally because we talk about community revivals, we talk about church revivals, but it begins with your personal heart. If your individual heart is not right, do not expect things to be right amongst your home. If you are not right with the Lord, do not expect things to be right with one another. Matter of fact, you can anticipate that when you are not right with God, you will not be right with other people. Right? Now look here. We find that pure living must be a personal life choice. You will be as sanctified as you desire to be sanctified. Now, many of us, we get to this place where we go, you know, well, I've got this checked off and this checked off and this box marked. And we look around and we go, well, you know, I'm at least more sanctified than, you know, Joe over here or, or whoever. We go, all right, so I'm doing all right. That's the wrong measurement. When we are measuring ourselves to one another, of course you can find someone that you're better than. But you could probably also find someone that you're not quite up to snuff either. But here's the, here's the point. As a local church, we're not to be comparing ourselves one to another in the first place. We're to be helping one another, linking arms with the one on the right and the one on the left, and all trying to not just imitate Christ, but allow Christ to live through us, that we would yield ourselves completely to Him in absolute surrender, that we would die to ourselves daily, pick up our cross and follow Him to glorify Him. And we do so together knowing this, that if we abandon the foxhole, we're leaving our brothers and sisters behind. Knowing this, that if we stop firing upon the enemy, we're not helping our brothers and sisters. Knowing this, that if we start shooting the other one in the foxhole with us, we're not helping our brothers and sisters. So this does begin personally. It is not merely a place in the Christian's life, but it is the progress being made to get there. We think that if we reach maturity, that it is just a destination, but it is a process that is lifelong until the day that we will see Christ and be glorified. And we won't be here, right? We've got to leave this earth to get there, right? Now until then, while we are on this earth, we are in a battle in the heat of the battle that is day by day, the enemy fighting and waging a war against us, and you and I often waging and fighting a war against one another. We must wage a war against the enemy, and it begins in our hearts. It begins in our minds. It begins in our very homes. Now here in verse 11, Paul shows that we must be living in humble holiness that sees our need to be faithful in our individual walk. We won't grow to serve the church or to help one another until we've learned to yield our lives to Christ. Until our personal heart is, is right with the Lord, you will be of no help to another. Now, all of you in this room, all of us today, we would say that we want to be a help to the local church, don't we? 
You'd say you'd like to be a help to your family. You want to be a help to your friends, especially those who are lost. He gets into that in verse number 12. We'd all say that we want to help, and that's a good thing. But in order to help, we must be helped ourselves. In order to fill others, we must be emptied of ourselves and filled with the Lord, filled with His Word, filled with the Spirit of God daily so that we then can be poured out as a living sacrifice for him. Now he's talked about essentially how to get to that place by this purification process in the verse 10 verses. And now as he gets here in verse 11, he says, and that ye study to be quiet. That's a hard one. As a matter of fact, it's an incredibly difficult one. We must learn to be still. We must learn to be quiet. And it is strenuous work to be still. The hardest you must work in your life is to be still. Because we always want to move and we always want to go. However, we can move and go in the flesh and accomplish nothing but harm in the Spirit. What we see is that though we might want to go, we must not move when the Lord is not moving or telling us to move. But here's what we're going to get into in just a moment. Learning to be still, learning to be quiet, learning to mind your own business, It's not going to lead to inactivity in the local church or inactivity in our community. Rather, it is learning to be disciplined ourselves first. The one who thinks that he is the most disciplined, I would say, is the least disciplined. When we go about and we think that, well, I've got this, therefore I'm going to tell someone, well, that's, that's nice that you want to help, but we've got to see that we have to have our own emotions, our own spiritual welfare uh, uh, disciplined first and foremost. Morris writes his verb, philotimeomai, in the classics meant to be ambitious, but later it meant to, to strive eagerly, to seek restlessly, pointing to a wholehearted and energetic pursuit of the object. It may well have this meaning here as a colorful command, whether Paul meant to make it your ambition to be unambitious or seek restlessly to be still. You and I have been taught in the world that it's a good thing to be ambitious, right? Strive for much. Have the, the, the nicest car, the nicest home, the nicest account, uh, the, the biggest name, the, the best name in the community, all these different things, right? You, you want to eventually do all this so in your small town one day you can, you know, be 70 and run for mayor and stick a, a sign in your neighbor's yard, right? We're always looking for this ambition, But where's our ambition for holiness? Our ambition for holiness must must be greater than our ambition for happiness or comfort. Our ambition for Christ must be far greater than anything in the world. Now here, what he's getting at, as he says that you study to be quiet, to do your own business, to work with your own hands, he's showing here that we are to be striving to be ambitious, to not be ambitious. It is contrary to our flesh. Our flesh wants to be the greatest church member. Not for the glory of God, but for the glory of our flesh. Our hearts and our minds and our motivations often so get skewed because we lose humility. And there is such thing as a false humility. We all know the humble thing to say. And that's a danger. When we begin to know things I would say that is when we are in some of the most danger that we are or could be in spiritually. When we begin to think that we know something, we we have hardly begun to know. We've got to see that humility is the key to holiness, is it not? 
So here the bookend of this chapter is this whole idea that as we grow in holiness, what will naturally be happening? We're going to grow in humility. And you will not have one without the other. There will be no holiness in our life until there is humility. Now, here's the, here's the misnomer. We think that a humility is a constant punching yourself in the face. It is not. However, humility, humility makes much of Christ and little of ourself. Humility does not brag about our own gifts or talents or knowledge or wisdom or, or, or what we have to offer, but rather it says, I only have myself to offer to the Lord for His service and He takes care of everything else in between. It is giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. It is sacrificing and surrendering ourselves to the Lord. As we talked about this very word in verse number 4, this sanctification that we often use so much, it is not merely to be set apart from the world, but it is to be set apart unto God. It is one thing to be set apart from the world, and there's plenty that are. They, they, they don't do these outward sinful things that, that we or even the world would say, yeah, that's, that's crossing the line there. But it is to be set apart for the use of God alone. It is that now our vessel, our body, our home, our everything is the Lord's to use. We must come to that place. And until we do, we'll be stuck in pride. We have plenty of pride as Christians. As a matter of fact, we're proud to be Christian. We're proud to be this. We're proud to not be what we once were. Y'all, we're barely just hanging on. We've got to understand, as far as you've made it spiritually, it has not been you. It's God's grace. And when we take God's grace out of it, pride will sneak right in there. It'll burst open the door. And we'll go, oh, I think I got something. I think I got this Christian thing down. There are plenty of folks who have come to Christ after thinking they've had this Christian thing down and not really having that Christian thing at all. We need humility. Study to be quiet. Be ambitious and not be ambitious. This is a hard thing, especially in the church, because in the world, we're always trying to climb the ladder of success and comfort. We must not try to climb some ladder in the church of success and comfort. As a matter of fact, we see over and over and over again in the local church, there is a continual humility that we must have as individuals and as a church, as a preacher, as an average Christian, wherever we are and somewhere in between, we must have humility. But then he begins, he says, you study, be quiet. We've got to learn to do that. But he says, and to do your own business. We think that being a busybody is bad in our day. It was bad in their day too. Here's what happens. When you don't study to be quiet, you're going to do a lot of talking. James tells us about this. We should be, as James puts it, right? James says, you're to be quick to anger, quick to speak. All right, so a few of y'all have read the book of James. All right, the rest of y'all weren't sure. If you read the book of James, you know that's not true at all. James says the opposite. James says, as we would put today, hush up. Be quiet. You don't have to do all the talking. As a matter of fact, we have often a lot of conversations where all we're doing in the conversation is just listening so we can respond. That's not listening. That's waiting for your chance to talk again. 
the, the one, and, and I can tell you this, I, I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure you are as well. We, we need to be honest to do this. We often do this because we think we have something more to offer than the other person. We, we talk much because we think we've heard enough. Now we've got something to share. Sometimes we do. The Lord will let you know. But sometimes the greatest thing that God will ever have you do in a conversation is to not say anything at all. Sometimes the greatest help that you can do for a, a family that's grieving, for a soul that is, is struggling. Our words are not the words of God. What they need is the Word of God, and the Lord allows us times to speak such, but you and I need to learn and to study. Study is strenuous, is it not? Be studying to be quiet, and then to do your own business. As Thomas puts it, busybodies are active in wrong ways. <laughs> They're active. Being active is not always the right thing. Because you can be active in the wrong things. You can be busy, but if you're busy being a busybody, you're busy doing the wrong thing. I feel like that's one of those tongue twisters, isn't it? Busy bunch of Baptist busybodies. Say that five times fast. Right? Busy bunch of busy Baptist. Yeah, see, I can't even do it again. To do your own business. Busybodies are active in the wrong ways and need a reprimand. But the exhortation goes beyond telling them to stay out of other people's affairs. That's what you often hear preaching about behind pulpits. You know, mind your own business, all that stuff. And, and there's ways of putting it, but it also implies a necessity of keeping one's own affairs in order. I learned this at an early age. It was taught, preached to me. And I've taught and preached this, and I'll keep doing it till I die or till God tells me I'm wrong. But you can never be someone else's Holy Spirit. You can't do it. And as a matter of fact, you don't even have, and I don't have. It don't matter how many degrees you got, how much learning you got, how sanctified you think you are. We don't have to offer what the Holy Spirit has to offer. All right. This is why when we do help people, we need the Holy Spirit. This is why when we pray, we need the Holy Spirit. This is why when we give, we need the Holy Spirit. This is why He's given us the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it's going to be better for you that you have the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what happens to us. As we see here, we, we start to know, we start to then, we want to help others. And I believe that there's plenty of busybodies in churches. We all know, all of you right now, as soon as I say busybody in the church, you thought of somebody. I did too. You probably thought of somebody that attends here or somebody that attends somewhere else. Somebody might have thought of you. Somebody might have thought of me. And heaven help us if they did. Because then we've, we've got a bad testimony there. It's not good. There's a reason why they did. There's a reason why you thought of who you thought of and there's a reason why someone might have thought of us. Here's what happens. Is that we try to help someone else and in, instead of helping them, we end up hurting them by just trying to put our nose in their business. Now, there is a great difference between helping out the body of Christ and being there for a brother or a sister and being a busybody. And the line is very thin. Normally, the busybody doesn't know they're a busybody. Normally, the one who is not working and doing and minding their own business has no idea. They mean well. If I had to tell you the, the times I've had to tell people some, so sitting somewhere, talking to someone, and they come to me about somebody, and I have to tell them those exact words, they mean well, and they go, I know they do. 
All of us can fall into that trap sometimes. It was Bruce who put it this way, there is a great difference between the Christian duty of putting the interests of others first and the busybody's compulsive itch to put other people right. Here's the idea. Paul says to them, take care of your heart first before you worry about somebody else's. And he says this, take care of your home first before you take care of somebody else's. I would say this as well. Take care of your church before trying to take care of somebody else's. I don't have to give an answer for the shepherd up the road. Whether I like them, whether they like me or not, whether we agree or we even agree to disagree or even we can't even do that. I don't have to give an answer for him. I don't have to give an answer for anybody. All around. That's a freeing thing. When Paul here says, take care of your own stuff, whew, praise the Lord, because I've been trying to take care of everybody else's and I'm just about plumb wore out. I've got my own problems to take care of. Y'all ever been there before? Of course we have. Because we care and that's a good thing. Do not lose that because look, just the few verses beforehand, what did he talk about? He says, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. He says, you got that down. You're loving one another. But don't let it let you be a busybody. Don't let it lead you to not take care of your own home. Folks, I've seen this happen with pastors, with good church members, where they don't take care of their home, and they're busy taking care of everybody else's, and their home's in a wreck. It's not good. We've got to take care of our heart before we can minister to somebody else's. He says, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. We must learn to do our own work. Now here's this, and I want you to get this. Being still, being quiet, does not mean that we don't work. However, it's much better to work quietly. It's much better to work minding your own business than the person over there. idea is that they are to continue earning a living with their own hands you see here's what we need we need to understand that the church is there to take care of one another we are literally to be what the bible calls koinonia one another to one another one another to be there to be a part of a body however 